Welcome to the Women in Oxford's History podcast series. I'm Alison. I'm Olivia. And in each podcast, we explore the life of a woman who's had an impact on the city, then talk to the researcher who's been delving into her past. For more information on all the women featured in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. This podcast explores the life and impact of Maria Antonina Czaplitska, a Polish anthropologist based at Oxford University at the start of the 20th century. Maria was born to a family of impoverished nobility in Poland, where she received a wide-ranging but fragmented education. She attended a girls' school and underground learning initiatives which operated secretly, away from the eyes of the Russian Empire. In 1910, she moved to England with the help of a Mianowski scholarship, which supported her while she prepared work on a book entitled Peoples of the Globe. She attended lectures at the London School of Economics and in 1911 began the Oxford Diploma in Anthropology. Though women had been able to study at Oxford since the founding of Somerville College and Lady Margaret Hall in 1879, they didn't become full members of the university until 1920. When Maria arrived, most of the female students were undergraduates and all had to abide by strict college regulations. At 26 years old, Maria was older than many of her female peers, but she seems to have enjoyed the setting and became actively involved in college life. After completing the year-long diploma, Maria carried out an independent study of Siberia's indigenous people that was to become her book, Aboriginal Siberia, a study in social anthropology. Her tutor, Robert Ranolf Marit, was fascinated by ethnographic material from the Russian north, but it remained inaccessible to him and his colleagues due to the language barrier. He proposed that Maria write a compendium handbook based on ethnographic literature of Russia, Poland and Germany. She would later recall how, in the shady gardens of Oxford, in the midst of the splendid wealth of British libraries and under the influence of British methods of research, a new side of her interests in Siberia was awakened. Despite an initial struggle to find funding, money was eventually provided by Somerville and the Reed Trust of Bedford College. As was common at the time, the support came from sources intended for women. Maria's book was well received. Though not based on original research, it presented an overview of the indigenous people of Siberia and would remain the leading source of information on the subject until the 1960s. In 1914, Maria led an anthropological research expedition to Siberia, for which she received the Mary Ewart Travelling Scholarship from Somerville College. Although she was initially joined by two other women, after the outbreak of the First World War, she remained out there with only Henry Usher Hall, an American anthropologist. Her tutor, Robert Marrett, was concerned about her travelling alone with a man, but Maria played this aspect down in her own writing. During the trip, Maria and Henry recorded tales and legends, collected material objects, took photographs and explored the religious and social structures of the communities they encountered. This was all carried out in remarkably harsh conditions. On her return, Maria's achievement in leading the expedition was reported in numerous press articles, where she was described as an intrepid lady explorer and lady scientist. She also wrote a book entitled My Siberian Year and gave numerous lectures in scientific societies across the country. The First World War has often been presented as a period of stagnation in anthropology, but for Maria it was a time of opportunity. 
She was made lecturer in ethnology for three years between 1916 and 1919, becoming the first appointed female lecturer in Oxford. Once again, she relied on support from a network of influential women. Her stay at Lady Margaret Hall was funded by the principal, Henrietta Jex Blake. Although Oxford has been described as something of a ghost town during the war, Maria's tutor Marit fondly remembers the contributions of female academics during the time. But with the end of the war came the end of Maria's job. She had to resign her position when the incumbent postholder, Dudley Buxton, returned from fighting. She sought opportunities in America, but was unsuccessful. In 1920, she was offered the position of lecturer in anthropology at Bristol, and was also awarded the Murickson Grant from the Royal Geographical Society, a rare feat for a woman. But after a term at Bristol, her circumstances worsened. She found herself in serious debt. Her old expedition partner, Harry, got married, and an important travel scholarship was awarded to Dudley Buxton, the man who had taken back his Oxford job from Maria after the war. In 1921, Maria committed suicide by taking mercury. Her friends and colleagues clubbed together to pay off all her debts. Maria wished to be buried at Wolvercote Cemetery, just north of Oxford, which indicates the strength of her attachment to the city. Her most visible legacy can be found at the Pitt Rivers Museum, which continues to house the objects she herself collected from the Russian north. Alison and I are here today to talk with Jana Kavida, who's been researching the life um, in Oxford of Maria Chaplitska. So I really wanted to start off by understanding a bit of Maria's early life in Poland and how her education may have had an influence on her life and research in Oxford. Well, so Maria came from a, an impoverished Polish nobility background. Maria first went to a girls' school in Warsaw, um, where she also became very active in helping other students um, and later attended courses in the Flying University, which was a Kladenstein um, establishment mm -hmm. where quite a lot of the more progressive um, men and women were teaching. People would meet in, in other people's houses. Um, there were sort of informal lectures and it was underground. It, it was because it wasn't really allowed under the, uh, the Russian uh, rule. And she was able to pursue a further education after her family moved to um, Lipa, which is today's Latvia. In, and in 1904, she finished um, the boys' grammar school. So she was able to, to attend courses in a boys' school, uh, which enabled her to take um, the teaching certificate in, and become a geography teacher. And, and I think in terms of her experiences in Oxford, the sort of very informal and, and slightly scattered education it had, on one hand, it posed problems, obviously, because she didn't, she didn't have a, a formal, like a, a BA or a PhD. But I also think that the sort of, these sort of informal networks and studying with, with more progressive men and, and helping other students and perhaps fitted the sort of college life in, in Oxford. How was she able to support herself during her time at Oxford if she came from an impoverished background? Well, she first came to, to England on a Mianowski scholarship, which was um, given out by a philanthropist in, in Poland, and she was the first woman to get it. And then later when she started working on her first book, The Aboriginal Siberia. From what I can gather, 
there was some struggle to find find money for her to do this work and um, her mentor uh, Marit really tried to, to work with Emily Penrose, the principal of Somerville, to find this money. And um, eventually, it, seems it came through the Reed Trust of the Bedford College of Women in London. And then further, when she went to do her field work, most of her money came through the Mary Ewart um, Scholarship at Somerville College. But she also had support from personal through personal contact so when she went into the went to Siberia some money was collected by one of the members of Somerville College um, and she went around and collected uh, 49 pounds just from old members of Somerville and then what's I mean Maria never knew it but when she held her lectureship at Oxford from 1916 to 1919. Her stay at Lady Margaret Hall was actually paid by Henrietta Jacks Blake, who's the principal there, and she paid for it out of her own pocket. Really? But she never told Maria of it. But effectively, yeah. without women, she couldn't have achieved the work that she did. Having these pockets of money coming from from sources specifically designed for women was really crucial. How do you think the First World War opened up opportunities for women like Maria at Oxford? I think it was time for opportunity, but it was also um, a difficult time. And uh, for Maria, first of all, I mean, she she received a, a lectureship in ethnology at Oxford, which was unprecedented, really. She was able to lecture for three years and get paid for it. But there was also, there was a real pressure on women to do a lot of work, um, both academic as well as sort of war-related. And I think that actually also impeded uh, the achievements that women could have had. Maria lectured, but she also really rallied behind Polish course, so she gave a lot of lectures about Poland at the time. She did some intelligence work for the British government. She went on a farm in Devon and presented herself as a real sort of example for women to go and, and labour on the land. So it sort of goes both ways, but there were certainly a lot of opportunities and, and some of it was perhaps more relevant to the undergraduates because they were expected to and encouraged to keep up with their studies and they were able to some, quite often go to more lectures than they did before because male lecturers that would have otherwise turned them away now had nobody to lecture to so that they allowed them to come to their lectures. <laughs> so I think it varied as to, as to women but for Maria it was both a time of great excitement and opportunities but I think also it didn't well perhaps wasn't best for her academic career. Have you, do you think, learnt anything new about Oxford through your research of Maria? I think I've learnt quite a lot about Oxford and I think particularly its relationship with women and and just I mean, I didn't realise that women didn't, weren't able to have degrees until 1920. I didn't realise there were quotas as to how many women could be in the university. Some of the objects from her Siberia trip are now in the Pitt Rivers Museum. Is that yeah, okay? uh, about, well, half of the ones that were collected overall. So 
but all of the material that Maria collected um, with the funds given to her were are at the Petrovas. Do you know what sort of objects are in the collection? Yeah, um, they're mostly daily items of the indigenous people that she encountered. So there's bows, there's um, spoons and bowls, there's clothing, musical instruments. I mean, in the court there is a corner with fur clothing and there's North American ones that are famously um, inspired. Some of the episodes in Philip Pullman's Northern Lights trilogy, but next to it is also some of the clothing that uh, Marie Plitska collected. And did you say that her objects are the only ones from the Russian North? More than likely, if there's something from um, Siberia, it will be uh, from her collection. For further links and background on all the episodes in the series, please go to our website, womenofoxford.co.uk. Thanks for listening.